Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com slash fine. Hear that? It's the call of the crave. And when the crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 bacon bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the bacon cheese slider, 1921 bacon cheese slider, or chicken bacon ranch slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 bacon bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Hey, by the book listeners, Kristen here. Did you know that you can receive a weekly by the book affirmation mini-sode plus the rules of every book that we've lived by? It's easy. All you have to do is become a member of our Patreon community. To learn more, go to patreon.com slash listen to buy the book. Again, that's patreon.com slash listen to buy the book, or just look at the episode description from today's show. The following podcast contains barnyard language and some adult content. So, maybe listen on headphones if you're at work or around small children. Now, here's the show. Hey, Kristen. Yeah, Jolenta. Do you remember when we lived by that book that was all about being a lazy genius? Oh, of course I do. How could I forget the book that gave us lots and lots and lots and lots to do, all in the name of efficiency? Mm-hmm. And it's the book that prompted lots of our listeners to write in with their thoughts on laziness and how to get things done around the house. Uh, so many thoughts. Well, lucky for us, Kristen, and for our listeners, we have brought in a true expert to talk to us about what laziness even is and how to deal with it. And I am dying to hear everything she says because I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jolenta Greenberg. And this is By the Book. That's right. It's time for another Buy the Book bonus episode, our between seasons treat for your ears. And today we're talking about what it means to be lazy and productive 
at the same time. And joining us by popular demand from our listeners and from us is <laughs> Casey Davis. Casey is a therapist and author, the creator of the mental health platform Struggle Care, and a TikTok sensation. Seriously, her account where she doles out advice on how to deal when functioning gets hard has over a million followers. So we are so lucky to have you. Thank you so much for joining us, Casey. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Casey, first and foremost, can you tell us about Struggle Care, how it got started, the philosophy behind it, and so on? Sure. So it all happened on accident. I started the TikTok channel like right as the pandemic started in 2020. I had just had my first baby. I'm sorry, my second baby. So I had two kids at home under the age of two. My husband had just started his new job as a corporate litigator. So he's an attorney at a big law firm, and I was just drowning. And I started posting on TikTok these sort of little hacks and tips and tricks that I had been using to sort of hack my way into better functioning around my house with my dishes and my laundry. And I, at the time, was kind of blown away at how fast the account grew. And I realized that there's a lot of sort of home care content out there, right? But it tends towards like the Martha Stewart side of things, you know, influencers with very aesthetic homes, right? the sort of the Marie Kondo, like tidying mm-hmm. up, like where everything's really pretty and tidy. But as a therapist, like I am pretty intimately aware that there's this intersection of home care and mental health. And it's very difficult for people when they're struggling to do things like the dishes and the laundry and the cleaning, and they feel really overwhelmed. And while you might go to therapy or get medication or do all these things, a lot of people weren't really finding a place to address, like, okay, but how do I make myself get up off the couch and do some laundry? And from there, it became, you know, a lot of people with ADHD, a lot of people with autism, a lot of people that had disabilities, a lot of people that were postpartum or, you know, bereaved and really just anybody who was dealing with a pretty stressful period of life. Yeah, which was most of us from 2020 <laughs> onward. <laughs> yeah. When you mentioned bereaved, that that's no joke, you know, bereaved for the entire world, bereaved for loved ones and so on. So you were definitely speaking to a lot of people at the right time. Yes. So in your work, you talk a lot about care tasks, specifically in your new book. Um Can you explain what those are? Yes. So the term struggle care is sort of a play on self-care. So I just like famously don't like the term self-care because it's been so pop cultured that now it sort of represents bubble baths. Mm -hmm. And so I've been going through this period of doing a lot of language shifts. And so I named it struggle care because the idea is learning how to care for yourself while you struggle not necessarily fixing what the struggle is, but just sort of learning how to care for yourself. And and that was sort of the first language shift. And then the second language shift was talking about care tasks. So things that we would typically call chores or housework. And, and just the language in and of itself feels like a burden, feels like an obligation, feels like this sort of external measurement of I'm not a valid person, I'm lazy, I'm irresponsible. It's all these kind of moral imperatives. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to switch this language to represent what these tasks really are, which are not about being good enough, are not about being a good mother or spouse or person or a valid adult. 
they're really just tasks that you do to care for yourself. Right. And can you give us some examples of what those are? Yeah. So laundry, dishes, cleaning your body, brushing your teeth, feeding yourself, maybe getting some movement into your life, taking your medication, scheduling doctor's appointments, tidying or cleaning up, perhaps decluttering your space, washing your sheets. So like most of the things on our to-do list or like the sort of mental load check items that, you know, we're always discussing with our partners, all like all of it. Yep. And what do you recommend doing when those tasks pile up? Because for a lot of us, that's where we found ourselves, not just during the pandemic, but, you know, throughout our lives, there are just moments that this is just the way things are or because of our own personal struggles for whatever reason. What would you recommend we do? Because it can feel really overwhelming. Yeah. And I have sort of seven, six or seven sort of main principles. And, and the first one is this idea that care tasks are morally neutral. So mm. I think before we dive into sort of how can we hack our laundry, how can we make cleaning easier, we have to do sort of mindset shifts because a lot of the distress that we feel around care tasks has to do with this idea that I feel like if I can't get them done, I must be bad. I must be lazy. I'm going to beat myself up. I'm going to feel shame about it. And so sort of neutralizing it and this idea that how you do care tasks, how good or bad, how quick you are at them, it has nothing to do with your character. Right. It has nothing to do with being good or bad, right or wrong, productive or lazy. They just are. They either function or they don't function. And when you look at a task, say your laundry, and and you take away all of these value statements and you just say, does the my system for laundry function or does it not function? Mm-hmm. And you might ask, well, what would it mean for laundry to function? And to a certain extent, you get to ask yourself that question. What is the function of my laundry system? Well, for me, the function is to produce clean clothes. And so asking myself, does it function? And I might go, well, actually, yeah. I've been feeling bad about living out of a clean and dirty laundry basket for months, but it is actually producing clean clothes. I can get it into the washer. I can get it into the dryer. And here I am beating myself up over never folding it. But in reality, does it even bother me that I don't fold it? Right. Or is that just an external value that I've put on it that I feel like I'm failing because I'm not, you know, doing it by the rules? And so I think... Some random societal check mark. Exactly. First checking that for you. And you, or you might say, well, it does matter to me that it's folded. Maybe not necessarily that it's folded, but it bothers me that I can't find the articles that I'm looking for, that everything's in one pile. Mm. And so then you can go from there and go, okay, well, what if we were to sort the clothes out? but just not fold them, right? Can we skip this step that you're stuck on? So it's a lot of what I refer to as sort of adaptive imperfection. So just sort of cutting out steps that you feel stuck on and not, and with a judgment-free attitude, like not worry about like, why can't I fold it? Why do I procrastinate that? If I would just try harder, it's like, well, does it really matter to you that it's wrinkled? If not, just put it in a basket. Right, yeah. Really, okay, it does. Okay, no, hang it. So it's this kind of thinking process, but it all starts with this idea that care tasks are morally neutral. And then the second principle is that you deserve kindness regardless of your level of functioning. Mm, And so mm -hmm. this is where we talk about developing self-compassion and looking at how do I talk to myself when I see the dishes piled up in the sink? 
Right. Am I telling myself that I'm lazy? Am I telling myself that I'm failing? Am I saying, oh, you know, you piece of junk. Why can't you, you know, just do like everyone else? And in what ways can I start to change that inner dialogue? Like, what if I were to look at a pile of dishes and say, wow, I have fed myself every day this week. That's I've like so much family. nicer. Yeah. 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 Like I fed my whole family. Mm-hmm. And, and if you think to yourself, okay, I haven't showered in three weeks. And that would typically bring up an inner dialogue of I'm so disgusting. Mm-hmm. Well, what else could that mean? It could mean that you're having a hard time and people who are having a hard time deserve compassion and you are people too. And so that base of moral neutrality and the foundation of self-compassion. And from there, I really encourage people to embrace that good enough is perfect. Like what are the arbitrary rules we're following? And then how can we just embrace good enough? And how can we sort of let go of some of the things that are limiting us, like maybe some eco-perfectionism, right? So much guilt over using that paper plate or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kristen's dealt with that for sure. Oh yeah, I definitely have. Um, So, you know, Letting go of that, embracing imperfection, really looking at how can I stop running around like I serve my house and find ways to make my house serve me. Yes, my house doesn't own me. It doesn't own me. That's right. I love that way of looking at things. Such a refreshing view as opposed to like, here's all the ways you can hack making your way up to these like arbitrary benchmarks. It's like, let's examine them, perhaps reframe them and like maybe debunk a few. Exactly. And my book is called How to Keep House While Drowning. And my whole approach to this is that I may not know how to teach you to swim right? Because everybody has such a unique barrier to why keeping house or care tasks is hard. And there's not a book that could fix that for somebody. But I can teach you how to breathe underwater. Mm. Like there is a way to embrace self-compassion and moral neutrality. Yes, maybe introduce some practical hacks, but regardless of whether your barriers are lessened or whether they remain, we can change the way that we relate to our home and really increase our quality of life in our home. Oh, such a good thing to think about. You should think about that while we take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll have more conversation with the amazing Casey Davis. We're going to talk about laziness and shame and all those fun things. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. are back with our special guest, Casey Davis, creator of Struggle Care and author of the new book, How to Keep House While Drowning. So, Casey, a lot of our listeners say, 
and and some of us hosts also say uh, <laughs> that we're worried about judgment. Particularly, uh, our female listeners feel that other women judge them when they don't do things like, quote unquote, the right way, or they aren't living up to these sort of imaginary standards of like womanhood, parenthood. What advice do you have for them? You know, it's funny. I do a lot of posting on TikTok, which means that I get a lot of support, but I do get like a pretty predictable amount of like hate comments. Surprise. People online say mean things sometimes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And one time someone made a really interesting comment about like me being a bad mom or something to that effect. Boo, boo, malarkey. And, you know, I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to, you know, list all the ways why I measured up to whatever standard they were sort of holding up to me. But the more I sat with it, the more that I really didn't want to prove why I met their standard. I wanted to talk more about why their standard shouldn't matter to me at all. And so instead, my response was, listen, you might be a better mom than me. You might. But my job is not to be the best mom that you can be. My job is to be the best mom that I can be. And I am going to have different barriers different privileges, different constraints. I have a different body. I have a different mind. I have a different sort of social familial context than you. And I think that when we feel people judging us, or even when we compare ourselves to others, we're sort of assuming that we're all working with the same thing and in the same context. And so we can compare sort of apples to apples. But in reality, there are real limitations that I experience, both with, you know, support or mental health. And my only job is to be honest about what my capacity is and to prioritize my efforts in life so that the things I value most are getting the best of me. Mm. And it's just never going to be my laundry. I mean, maybe if I wake up tomorrow and have 10 times the capacity and I can put all of this, you know, energy into that, but I don't. And, you know, there's always going to be someone who feels as though they are better than me because maybe their house is cleaner or, you know, they serve only organic food. But I learned a long time ago that that person's only comparing one aspect of our lives. And if we were to sort of call that person to the carpet and ask them about the other areas of their life, like, so what's your bank account look like? Mm. How's your marriage? What's your mental health like? How are your friendships? How's your, how's your work life? Like there would be areas in which that person would probably envy me. Right. And so there's just no use in comparing ourselves to others. And when we get judgments from other people, trying to remember that typically speaking, everyone is just trying to show themselves that they're okay. And some people are not mature enough to do that outside of a context of comparing themselves to you. So they're going to pick whatever area of their life they think they're doing better than whatever that area in your life and then compare those and push that judgment onto you. Mm. And you can accept it or not. It's hard sometimes. I mean, I I have to say, I I wrote about this in our book that Jolenta and I co-wrote, How to Be Fine, that I wasted decades of my life worrying about what other people thought of me. Oh, yeah. Even though my nana told me repeatedly, like, most people aren't thinking about you. <laughs> but it took so long for it to finally hit where it's like, I have zero fucks left to give. I don't care what you think <laughs> about me anymore. But it took mm-hmm. so 
long to get there, Casey? Do you have any suggestions of like first steps to actually get there? I can't explain how I got there, to be honest with you, other than just time. Like it took so long. I know it's such a long journey. It's hard to sort of prescribe it. (laughs) Um, But I do think that there are some simple things that like listeners can go away from this and do immediately. And I think the first thing is to remember that when you see other people, especially online, we, we're almost always comparing our behind the scenes to somebody else's highlight reel. Right, so right, what someone right. chooses to put online is cultivated to make them look a certain way. And this is true even in just talking to someone, right? If I go to you know, a, a dinner with some friends and there's an acquaintance talking about their vacation, and I'm sort of feeling like, oh man, like I wish I had the money to take vacations like that. I feel like I don't fit in here. I feel like I'm not... Still, that person is still choosing what to represent at that dinner table. Like, that person's not, like, putting up a seat and being like, so my marriage is falling apart, right? Well, meanwhile, I might have a rock-solid marriage. Mm. And so just remembering that we're always privy to every failure in our life while only privy to the successes that other people want to share with us, unless we're lucky enough to have friends or family members that are really being vulnerable and sort of sharing the whole lot with us. And so I think that mind shift is helpful. And from that, I think that when it comes to social media, really looking at what is my feed doing for me. Right, right, right. And I like to think of like two categories of social media when it comes to especially anything related to like lifestyle. And I think that there's aspirational content and inspirational content. Yeah, we tend to lump both together often. Yeah, and I think of aspirational content as content that makes me feel like, wow, I wish that I had what that person has, whether that is material or emotional or otherwise, whereas inspirational content is, wow, this person is inspiring me to do the best with what I have. And so paying attention to how I feel, do I leave it feeling supported? Do I leave it feeling encouraged? Or am I walking away from that content feeling less than, shamed, not good enough, envious? And depending on how much time you spend online, that is a huge area that can be shaping those feelings of judgment and comparison. Yeah, there was actually a study that was done that I think it may have even been conducted by Facebook that found that for women in particular, Self-esteem goes down with the more social media consumed. And Mm. yeah, I I mean, Jolenta and I have talked about this before. Like, we have to be careful about what we're consuming and how much time we're spending with that content. Even just changing, one time I went through and made like a conscious decision to to make sure that the amount of people in my social media feed had different bodies. Mm -hmm. It was like a body diverse Mm. feed. Even that, like that has been the singular most important thing in terms of my feelings of my body. Because when I surround myself with only sort of Hollywood thin models and celebrities and influencers, the message that's sending me is that like my body is the odd man out. My body is the abnormal Mm -hmm. one. But when I started filling up my feeds with the average person, right? Small people, big people, skinny people, fat people, disabled people, able-bodied people, people that whose bodies were d- represented the diversity of the actual human experience. Um, it, Gosh, it changed me. I, seeing somebody really feeling themselves in a beautiful outfit and going, God, she looks great. 
wait a second, I could wear that too. I could feel that great. Oh, yeah. That was huge. Jolent and I have actually suggested our listeners do that. And I got to say, like, it's something I've done for myself. And it makes me so much happier because the 1% of people, or maybe one one hundredth of 1% of people who look like, quote unquote, traditional beauty in America, most Americans don't look like that. Most Americans are, you know, not six feet tall, 105 pounds, white, and don't use a cane and are 18 years old. Most of us are none of those things. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Right. So it, it does make a, I have to say, it makes a huge difference for me to make sure I'm following a variety of people and a pro trip from Jolenta. Jolenta gave me this years ago. She's like, mostly follow animals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's all I do. No, I've noticed that too, even in just like, I have like, throughout the course of uh, working with Kristen and like uh, our show, I have learned, uh, I have lupus and like become disabled, started using a cane. And once I started adding other people who use like walking aids to my feed, I immediately started being like, oh, she's cool. Oh, like her cane goes with her outfit. I'm like, oh, right. Like, I can normalize sort of anything, even though, like, so many things are out of our control. Like, a lot of my feet is in my control. But that leads me sort of to my next question. Uh, Like, for those of us who are drowning, who, like, maybe haven't taken that shower in three weeks, who maybe feel like the first step is impossible, how would you recommend getting in the shower? How would you recommend starting to like take care of yourself when it feels like your body doesn't even want you to? So I would start by saying that it is not a requirement to care about yourself in order to care for yourself. Whoa. And in fact, one of the best ways to learn how to care about yourself is to start caring for yourself. Yeah. Um, it's kind of backwards, and so right, it doesn't yeah. matter if you think you deserve to be clean. Um, you you can actually just decide that being clean feels better. Mm. Um, there's not like, like being clean is morally neutral. There's not something there that you have to earn or deserve. Mm. And and I would also say if we ask ourselves, what is the ba- what is the barrier to getting in the shower? And if I were to ask this of a group of 100 people that said they had a hard time getting in the shower, we would hear so many different answers. And some people have never really stopped to ask themselves, so it might take some thinking. And for some people, it's the energy issue. I can't stand that long. I don't have enough energy. I feel lightheaded. And so when we identify that that's the barrier, we can talk about the adaptive solution to that. So whether that is getting a shower chair, whether that's exploring times of day where maybe you have more energy, Maybe it's, well, it takes me so much energy, my whole day is shot. And then going, okay, well, then maybe you shouldn't shower every day, right? Like maybe you could shower once Mm -hmm. a week and then we can put together a hygiene kit that you can use to clean your body and your face and your hair other days of the week because there are other wonderful things in your life that you deserve to take care of, to partake in. And, you know, if taking a shower every day is going to mean, you know, less enjoyable, joyful moments for you, then let's let's scale it back. Let's take a full shower just twice a week, or let's do just the hair in the sink today, and then let's do the body tomorrow. For some people, they say, well, for me, it's the temperature difference. Mm. I hate to be cold. And we'll say, well, what if you were bought a little space heater? 
And you spent 15 minutes heating up the space before you went in so that when you got in and when you came out, what if you got a towel warmer? What if you, right? And so we get kind of, we throw away the rule book and we just act as though everyone's barriers are legitimate. The answer is never like, just push through, just do it anyways. It's just, okay, that's a legitimate barrier. For some people, it's, you know, there's trauma around the shower, For some Mm -hmm. people, they are bored and they have some serious ADHD and they just can't switch gears like that. For some people, there are so many steps involved. And so when we talk about what if we were to get one of those little, you know, shower hoses contraptions and just put it on the kitchen sink and wash our hair in the sink so we didn't have to take our clothes off. What if we got some no rinse shampoo caps and that's how we did that? What if we just took baths instead, Mm -hmm. right? What if we showered with our clothes on? For some people, they've come back and said, for me, I don't like to look at my body in the mirrors, whether it's a self-esteem issue or a body dysmorphia issue, or they do not feel like their body represents their gender and they hate to see it in, you know, without clothes on. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, what if you just took all the mirrors out of your bathroom mm. or covered them up with bed sheets, right? You can get a small little mirror for the things that you need to look at your face and put it away. Yeah. It's amazing the creativity that a person can have when they have permission to treat their barrier as if it's legitimate. Mm. Right. As if it's morally neutral. Everything you say is so inspiring. I I just love it so much. I know. I'm just like, oh, just talk to me forever about showers, Casey. (laughs) And yeah, I, I love that it can just start with, you know, doing that once a week shower without judgment of your barriers. And then it can move on to the laundry or whatever it is. And you don't have to fold your laundry. You can just wash it. You can just do this or that. There's no moral imperative Mm -hmm. to do that. But I do want to talk about one word that you have used, that Jolent and I have used, that some people do feel like is moralistic and problematic. You've used the word lazy on this uh, conversation. Mm -hmm. Jolent and I have used the word lazy, a book that we lived by, uh, Lazy is used in the title and over and over and over again in the book. What are your thoughts on the word lazy? So I think that lazy is a value statement. And as a therapist, I do not believe that laziness exists. Whoa. <laughs> um, every client that has ever presented to me, and I, I primarily worked in addiction. And the majority of the clients that I worked with were that sort of what the industry refers to as like failure to launch. Mm-hmm. Right. So in their 20s, 30s, still not really holding down a job, still kind of acting immature, still not paying for their own bills. But I just have never met a person that was presented to me as lazy by either themselves or their family that when you actually began to work with them, when you actually began to get down to what is the barrier to this thing, I've never actually found the character failing of laziness. Whoa. Yeah. I found lots of other things, right? Like I I have found executive dysfunction. I have found a motivation due to mental illness. I have found depression. I have found ADHD. I have found addiction. I have found a lack of skill. I have found energy issues, motivation issues, attention issues. I have found people that are overwhelmed. I have found people that are very perfectionists and they, so they don't start because they know it's not going to be perfect. And even in the case where I have seen couples where, you know, Usually it's the woman in the relationship and like a heteronormative relationship. The woman is like, I'm doing everything and he doesn't do anything. Even then, when I really sort of needle down with with the man and the woman, 
it's not actually laziness. It's either some sort of barrier that I've already mentioned with this guy, or it's entitlement. Mm, entitlement. That is a better word. Because we've all yeah. done that group project at school. We've all been there a million times where sometimes the cool kid in the group just mm-hmm. doesn't bother to do anything. The person who just kicks back. Right. And this idea that laziness could be like, you know, oh, this person like goes to work and works and then like comes home and like gets to the bazillion, you know, video game level. Like, but then like suddenly when it comes to the laundry, they're lazy. Like it doesn't work that way. Mm. That's just Mm. someone who feels entitled to the labor of someone else. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that is such a good way to put it. I like that. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Oh, that's so good. And laziness itself isn't some, like, inherent character aspect you're born with. Yeah, it is usually a label that we either put on ourselves or comes from the outside that is a reflection of, like you keep saying, putting moral judgments or attaching moral values to, like, certain activities. Yeah, and it's interesting because the idea of laziness, the concept in order to be a concept, necessitates that there is an objective bar, right? It's like you're underneath this bar of productivity. But then that suggests that somebody has to set that bar. Mm. Who is that? There's not like a magical, there's not like a government wing that's like setting that bar. So (laughs) so it's just somebody else's bar. Right. Someone else's view, society's view, your parents' view. But we treat it like a concrete value. And on top of that, it's also a very imprecise word. Like one person's version of productivity is someone else's version of quote-unquote laziness, right? Yeah. Like, I I look at some people and I'm just like, I could never do all those things you do. And then other people might look at me and say, but you work really hard. But, you know, maybe compared to them, I feel lazy. But who cares? Let's stop comparing everything, right? Let's just be more precise with our language and say, no, you're entitled. No, you're Mm. dealing with struggles of perfectionism. No, you know, you're dealing with this or this or this. And it's just much more precise. Yeah, I like the precision of language. And that's why instead of thinking, am I being productive enough? Because another one of my principles is that rest is a right and not a reward. Mm -hmm. So instead of looking at, am I being productive enough? Am I doing enough? Am I hitting the right markers or standards? That's why we're moving away from that sort of morally charged aspect and looking at a purely functional view. So the question isn't, is not folding your laundry lazy? It's, is not folding your laundry functional? And people might have different answers, right? Right. I'm the one who decides what's functional for me. And if I'm living in community with others, then we come together and talk about, well, here's what's functional for me and here's what's functional for you. And how can we create systems in our home that honors the functionality of both of us? So beautifully put. I love it so much. On that note, we are going to take one more quick break. But when we're back, we have one last question for Casey. Stay with us. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. All right, we are back with Casey Davis. And Casey, since ultimately we're a podcast that loves to explore self-help books, and in your book, you outline some issues with the self-help genre like privilege, prosperity, gospel, all things that we have come into contact with a ton. But all of that aside, we still have to ask, do you have a favorite self-help book? Has there been one that's really impacted your life? Yes. The book, The Fuck It Diet, oh. by Caroline Dooner, has changed my life. That book has been recommended to us by listeners. Right. We don't live by diet books on the show after some issues we've had with them. But yeah, a lot of our listeners love that book. What, what did you get out of it, Casey? So her book is basically about unpacking the diet industry. And the premise is that diets don't work, that the diet industry knows that diets don't work, she outlines all of the scientific evidence and research that shows that diets do not work, that the diet industry is just out to take your money, and it will do that by making you feel bad. It explores some of the principles that, you know, some other people have already explored in regards to sort of intuitive eating, this idea that there's a set point theory. One of the biggest sort of overlaps between her book and some intuitive eating stuff is this idea that food is morally neutral. Mm -hmm. That food does mm. not have a morality. There's no good or bad food. And I'm not someone, I've never had an eating disorder, but I, I, I did like diet several times in my lifetime. I did always feel as though my body was bigger than it quote unquote should be. And I read this book in 2018 and I stopped dieting then and have never dieted since. It has introduced a ton of body neutrality into my life. It has freed me from the cycle of thinking my body isn't enough and yo-yo dieting over and over from food rules, from all these things. And I do think that learning that food has no morality was sort of the tiny seed that was planted so that fast forward to 2020 and when I started talking to people online about cleaning our home when we have barriers, I sort of made that connection of, you know, well, Laundry also has no morality. Cleanliness also has no morality. Right. Your dishes have no morality. Like, that's where I started realizing and where I, I came up with that sort of morally neutral term, looking at what else in our life is morally neutral and how many of us are so preoccupied with trying to grasp at what society has told us will make us a good enough person, right? If we eat a certain way, recycle a certain way, clean a certain way, look a certain way, dress a certain way, how many of those things have we just sort of swallowed carte blanche instead of saying, what matters to me and what's functional for me? Ah, uh, 
Morally neutral food. That snack isn't a bad snack. It's just a snack. Wow. Well, Casey, thank you so much for talking to us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. For people who want more of you, and we know everybody out there wants more Casey Davis, Mm -hmm. can you tell our listeners how they can learn more about you, learn more about Struggle Care and so on? Yeah. So strugglecare.com is my website. And that's sort of the easy jumping off point for everything. You can find out where to get my book, How to Keep House While Drowning, which is pretty much available everywhere. You can find me on TikTok at Domestic Blisters. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Struggle Care. You can sign up for my newsletter. You can explore my shop where I sell lots of online workbooks about like how to clean your depression house, how to declutter. So that's kind of the easiest central way to find me and find everything else. Thank you so much. We'll be sure to check out all of those things. We hope all of our listeners do. Casey Davis, thank you so much. Thank you. And that's it for this bonus episode of By the Book. Huge, huge thank you to our amazing production team at Stitcher, Chantel Holder, Corinne Wallace, and Marcus Hamm. Thanks also to Nate Wida, the composer of our theme song, and the Rizzos, the performers of our theme song. Please stay in touch. Send us any questions or suggestions for future books for us to live by or experts to interview like Casey Davis. Our email address is kristinandjolenta at gmail.com. You can also catch up with us on Twitter or Instagram at ByTheBookPod. Also, don't forget to rate us and review us wherever you're listening. Right this second, look down, hit five stars, write a little review. Show is fun. There's an example review. (laughs) It helps people find the show. Another way to help people find the show is to just tell them about it. You could be like, hey, friend, have you heard of Buy the Book? That's called word of mouth. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jolenta Greenberg. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Bye. Stitcher. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 